So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. We had a great talk with Elizabeth May this week. No, no, not we. You had a great talk with the Green Party leader. I couldn't be there because I got a day job and stuff. I'm a working man. We had a really good conversation. You have that kind of free time. Uh, You know, it's great that you guys had a conversation. You know what? I do want to ask you, though. Did you get to ask her about About Bill C-51? I absolutely did ask her. No, no. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Did you get to ask her about the thing she did last week? How the Green Party works, right? That is not what I'm talking about, and you know this. Did you ask her about that oh, thing about last... Oh, about the federal debates and how the federal... Yes, we did get into that. We're going to get into the federal debate. Don't worry. Man, I hate you. <laughs> Let's start the show. I'm Andre Demise. And I'm Desmond Cole. And this is Canada Land Commons. This episode is brought to you by House of Anansi Press, publishers of Spin, How Politics Has Turned Marketing on Its Head, by Clive Roney. So you know I've been reading this book, and this week I saw a little bit more about how marketers have gotten outside of those cozy wood-paneled rooms and gotten out into the streets with us proletariats, which is the domain of politicians. Let's hear a little bit more about that from Clive Veroni. So marketers have had to sort of descend into what I call a noisy electronic public square, and the best they can hope for in that environment is to be the loudest voice in the square. Now, this is an unusual and uncomfortable position for marketers who are used to being in control, but political strategists have lived in this kind of environment for a long time. To buy spin, or to read more about it, go to houseofanancy.com. Before we begin, so like what had happened was uh, last week I said that a newly elected MLA in Alberta in the writing of Calgary Bow named Deborah Drever. Hmm. You see, the thing is, I've actually heard the name pronounced Drever. I've heard it pronounced Draver. Deborah, could you please come on our show and correct me on this one? Anyway, I said that Deborah beat an incumbent. She did not, in fact, beat an incumbent. There's an incumbent party, but that's besides the point. I was wrong on this count. So my apologies for the error. Guess I wasn't the only one who messed up on last episode. <laughs> oh, you were waiting this whole time to get that one back on me, weren't you? But yeah. go ahead, please. All right, enough of your mistakes, Andre. Let's talk about what I did. I spoke with Elizabeth May in the Confederation Building in Ottawa, where her office is. Interestingly, Elizabeth May doesn't spend a lot of time in her office. She spends most of it at Parliament Hill. So to start off, I asked her what it's actually like to work there. I've been to the uh, Parliament on tours before, you know, with my family. It seems like this really mythical place. And I, I imagine it to be a place where, you know, like, you know, no running in the hallways of Parliament. What's it like actually being around the building all of the time? Well, actually, I have to run a lot because as a newly elected MP, I decided I was going to be 
the most knowledgeable on the rules and able to use the rules of parliament to prove the point that one member of parliament can accomplish a lot, that we are not living in a system where uh, we have an elected dictatorship and everything is designed by, everything is run by a prime minister and, and the leaders of the other parties control all their MPs. So unfortunately, the more I've done, the more that, that the conservatives have decided to change the rules to make it harder for me. So I'm now in circumstances where I literally have to run from one committee meeting to the next because they've changed the way legislation goes through parliament in order to, to force me and any other MPs in my situation, being members of parliament in parties with fewer than 12 MPs. And now we're two, of course, because it's me and Bruce Heyer. So that helps a lot. But we, we, we are coerced essentially into presenting all our amendments to legislative parliamentary committees where we don't have the benefits of membership, but must uh, present our amendments in those committees as opposed to later. So really at any time we could see Elizabeth May doing a hundred meter dash down the hallways. Yes. Not kidding. I mean, and to different buildings. I used to refer to running to committees for the ritual slaughter of my amendments. <laughs> but the other day I actually had on the Pipeline Safety Act, two of my amendments passed. But other than those quite surprising successes on the Pipeline Safety Act, we have prepared literally thousands of amendments. So we know you as the leader of the Green Party, and uh, I think that a lot of people actually think of you as the kind of the person that brought Green Party into the spotlight, but you started out as a progressive conservative. I didn't actually. Oh, you? but you, did you not work for the progressive conservatives? Yes, uh, but I wasn't ever a member of the party. You weren't. No. And, and I was really, I, I raised this with the Minister of Environment at the time when he was trying to recruit me to be his senior policy advisor. And I said, you do know I'm not, a, I'm not a progressive conservative. And he said, I, you know, he said, I, I didn't think you were, but and he looked a little worried. He said, you're not anything else, are you? I said, no, I don't belong to any political parties. He said, oh, good. Okay, fine. So yeah, I mean, the fact that I worked in the Mulroney administration has confused people to think that I had a political stripe that was PC. But, you know, I, I to say I've admired people and worked with people in every single political party in this country. Uh, and uh, Stephen Harper is an anomaly in that I recognized early on and knowing him when he became leader of the Alliance Party, that this was someone who was uh, not susceptible to uh, persuasion, that he would remain steadfast in his opposition to doing anything about climate change. I mean, I didn't even join the Green Party until Stephen Harper formed government in 2006. Tell us something about the Green Party that we don't know. Well, I don't know. I think people don't know that we've been, the Green Party was formed in Canada in 1983, but as part of a global movement of Green Parties, we are, we are held together solely by our commitment to shared values. So there's no top-down control. There's not even top-down control in the Federal Green Party of Canada. The leader of the Green Party is not in charge of the party. My job description is to be chief spokesperson, and a group of elected volunteers actually uh, run the party. And I have one vote among many, and we are not a party that's run by the leader. Huh. I actually had no idea about that. Yeah, well, there you go. You see, I don't know the stuff you don't know. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, the, as, as leader of the party, um, for instance, to give you an example, Elections Act requires that the leader of every federal political party sign the nomination forms for every candidate. And, and that gives tremendous power to each party leader to threaten uh, and coerce both candidates and sitting MPs by saying, well, if you don't do what I say, I won't sign your nomination papers and you're turfed. Now, in the Green Party, our internal bylaws restrict my powers. And so no leader could do that in the Green Party. 
ever, is we also have a policy against whipped votes. So sorry, just for our uh, listeners that don't know, just quickly explain what whipping the vote means. It means that the leader decides how every member of the caucus is going to vote. And the vote being whipped means if you don't vote the way you're told, you will suffer consequences and they will be painful. We're the only party in Canada that actually believes in democracy, that when a member of parliament is elected, and this is what it says in our constitution, a member of parliament's job is to, re- is to represent their constituents. In 2011, you became the first elected member of the Green Party in our federal government, but it was just you. I mean, what was that like? It's fantastic. I mean, the part of it that was, that was um, devastating, and I, d- I do mean devastating, was that on election night, and I was fairly confident I was going to win my seat, even though it meant unseating a sitting conservative cabinet member. But I was also confident that Stephen Harper could not form a majority government. I thought I, thought I was going to be elected into a minority parliament in which my thought my first act on election was going to be to call Rideau Hall to ask to speak to the governor general so that the parties and the MPs assembled in parliament could meet first and assess whether another form of party amalgamations uh, could hold the confidence of the House because we don't in this country, and I am grateful for a chance to explain this over and over again, because we've lost sight of the essence of our system of government in Canada. And in losing sight of it, we are, in, we are imperiled. And our system of government is not like the United States. We do not elect a prime minister. We elect, in this election, we'll be electing 338 members of parliament. And at least under our constitution, be completely legitimate for all 338 to meet after the election and say, okay, who should be prime minister? The only reason it's not a question is that the political party system, which is not part of our constitution, has been created outside of uh, what's required. But a prime minister does not win an election. A prime minister has an opportunity on the basis of how many members of parliament are elected in their party to hold the confidence of the House. And a prime minister only holds the confidence of the House, at least in the ideal of Westminster parliamentary democracy. Okay, so sorry, I have to interrupt here. And let me take a second to define this term, Westminster parliamentary democracy, because it comes up a lot and it's going to come up a lot on this show. Basically, it's the parliamentary system that we use here in Canada. Westminster just means it comes from Britain, and it has to do with how we make decisions and how Parliament operates. So this whole thing with a government and an opposition party that we have here, that's a Westminster parliamentary system. Okay, back to the interview. And a prime minister only holds the confidence of the House, at least in the ideal of Westminster parliamentary democracy, when they achieve political consensus. So Stephen Harper's version of might makes right, and I got the vote, so I'm going to push through omnibus budget bills, and you'll never have time to study them. And I got the votes. So, you know, cry your way home. I mean, this is a very, very dangerous perversion of what parliament should look like. Prime Minister Harper says that he's not going to go to the major debates this year. And I know debates have been an interesting part of uh, your career because at times you've not been invited to them. Mm -hmm. Would you attend a debate where the prime minister was absent? Or do you think that the idea of these debates is for the opposition parties to be able to challenge Stephen Harper directly and hold him accountable? Yeah, let's be clear what's happening here. Uh, Stephen Harper has a real aversion to situations in which he doesn't control the whole scenario, right? The consortium really of of major public broadcasters is the only venue that creates a truly national debate 
where Canadians from coast to coast to coast can watch the same debate. And it's important that it be a national and shared experience. What Stephen Harper is attempting to do is hijack the debates so that they don't happen. The, the critical question right now, and, and I urge the NDP to commit to the consortium national leaders debates. I believe Stephen Harper will absolutely cave and show up at the national televised leaders debates as long as none of the other federal parties decide that they like his approach of slicing and dicing and avoiding having the Green Party in the debates. So essentially, this is like a game of chicken that he's playing. Exactly. Exactly. Well said. Now, speaking of debates, I want to bring this to Bill C-51. I wanted to talk about C-51 in the context of the environment because you said a really interesting thing about two months ago on CBC, which was that the conservatives you feared might target environmental groups who oppose things like oil sands projects and that they might label them as terrorists. You said that you would be willing to protest and even go to jail to stop some of these projects from happening. I don't think I've ever heard a sitting member of parliament say that they were prepared to go to jail to stop a government project. Why do you think that that would be a proper role for you as a member of parliament? Well, I'm not the first. Sven Robinson actually did civil disobedience and was arrested. Um, Sven Robinson, former Liberal Party member, yes? No, former New Democratic Party member of Parliament from British Columbia. Um, Bob Ray, when he was in the Ontario legislature, but not yet Premier, was arrested on the logging road in Tamagami. It's not, it's not unprecedented. My, my point is that I will stand in solidarity with First Nations and environmental groups in opposing Dilbit pipelines to risky tankers on our coastline. That's what my constituents would want me to do. I will do my best to oppose them in Parliament. But if, if my constituents and if others that I respect choose nonviolent civil disobedience as a course of action, and I stress nonviolence, I think it's important to be willing to say, I'm not just backing them up in theory, I would back them up with my body. Now, in the context of C-51, it's not a question of do I imagine that the Harper administration might target environmental groups and First Nations that oppose pipelines. We know they do. Okay, of course, everyone has been talking recently about your speech at the press gallery event. But to me, when I listened to that, there was something larger going on at play here. And it's the issue of Omar Khadr. I heard you say recently uh, in one of your interviews about that press gallery dinner that, you know, there are other things that you wanted to say to the people of Canada about how we treat people, our notions of rehabilitation, our notions of giving people a second chance. What is this debate about Omar Khadr in Canada? What is it really about to yeah. you? Yeah, well, certainly the, the, the gallery thing is water under the bridge, but and it, it, addressing it seriously and not as part of a shtick. I, the Green Party has from the very beginning, because one of our core values is respect for human rights, been very disturbed that uh, we allowed as a nation a Canadian citizen who was essentially abducted as a child and taken into, into a war zone to remain in a situation where he was subject to torture. Now, some will say, well, you know, we don't think of Omar Khadr as abducted, but I don't consider an abduction of a child any different if it's a parent or if it's a stranger. If someone takes that child and puts them in some place as difficult, dangerous, and and criminal as a war zone. So we had somebody who, in legal definitions under international law, had a right to demand that we act in protection. Canadian citizens, whether they've been convicted 
of first-degree murder in other countries, we've always taken the position as a country that we will fight for that Canadian citizen to be returned to fill their sentence in a prison in Canada. In this context, we watched as two different federal governments ignored those very key issues about the specific situations of a very young person who was taken to that conflict and then who was tortured and then was convicted in Guantanamo Bay. We ignored the federal court, we being Stephen Harper's administration, ignored the federal court ruling that, that, his, that Omar Khadr's rights were being violated. So we've had a long history as a party of siding with Amnesty International, siding with uh, Human Rights Watch and saying, look, this is not the way we treat Canadian citizens. So this is really to you about an issue of protecting Canadians, uh, protecting their rights. And it's also about, I've been very, um, I have to say, I have found it very disturbing. And I can see that for political partisan reasons in the lead up to an election, Stephen Harper and, and his Minister of Justice and occasionally his Minister of Public Safety have used Omar Khadr as kind of a, a red flag uh, in front of a bull to try to enrage public opinion against him, to try to keep the idea that he's a convicted terrorist and he should not be let out on bail. But there's been a certain there's been a subtext to a lot of what Stephen Harper has said over the last year or so about our courts, that our courts are lenient. Like this is the courts doing their job. And we believe in this country, our criminal justice justice system has always been premised that the purpose of jail is not just punishment, but rehabilitation. From the little I've seen of him in his press conference in front of his lawyer's home, which I found a revelation. Here's, here's someone who's lived through literal hell on earth in Guantanamo Bay and is able to be poised, reflective, you know, deeply apologetic, compassionate, humble. I was astonished. And I thought, if we had any sense, if Stephen Harper was willing to really think about the opportunity that, that this, this young man may be, in fact, a miracle that he survived intact with his sanity and with some humanity, perhaps he might be approachable and he could help us stop radicalization of Canadian youth who might voluntarily go into the kinds of war zones that Omar Khadr's father took him. So that's what I that's what I would love us to have a conversation about in this country. I just want to ask you one quick thing before we have to let you go. You played some music as part of your press gallery speech. What's on your iPod? What are you listening to when you're traveling around the country? Do you know what? I don't have an iPod. I'm very, very old fashioned. I'm almost 61. I never got used to iPods. So what I have right now in the CD player in my Prius back home in BC is the latest album from a brilliant young singer-songwriter from Nova Scotia named Gabrielle Papillon and her music just I just adore it. Well I hope you're gonna be able to listen to this podcast. I could do that through my laptop. I do know how to do that. But I, just... <laughs> I was gonna say we could burn you a CD. You you gotta bump us up in your Prius while you're driving around. I think I'll do that. Listen, we thank you so much for joining us on Candleland Commons Elizabeth May and we will be watching you during the summer and fall in the lead up to the election. I appreciate that. Thank you for your time. Okay, take care. Bye bye. Man, I feel like she's lying. Elizabeth May is the kind of person I feel listens to trap music. Man, she's like blasting bass out the back of that car when nobody's around, though. Nobody's blasting around. bass out the back of a Prius? Out the back of a Prius. She got like, she got 22s in there, man. Forget forget the 15s <laughs> or 18s, she got 22-inch subwoofers. What else did you think about the interview besides what obvious sound system Elizabeth May has in the Prius? Uh, I found it pretty interesting that we reached out to every 
party. Um, I just, I found it really cool that, I mean, this podcast is just starting. We're only three episodes in and she's like, yeah, sure. I'll talk to you guys. I found that, I found that refreshing. Absolutely. Because she doesn't really have anything to gain by coming on the show and having a a conversation with us. You could argue she has nothing to lose. That, well, that's exactly it. And that's what I really liked about her press gallery speech. She really had nothing to, look. So wait, 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 wait. We're talking about the press gallery speech. There may actually be people out there who never heard it. Let's play the more controversial. Let's actually hear what she had to say. Let's play the most controversial part of this clip and hear what Elizabeth May said that caused all this to do. Omar Khadri, you got more class than the whole fucking cabinet. Thank you. So that was Elizabeth May on May 9th at the press gallery dinner. It's an annual event in Ottawa. And those comments sparked a ton of controversy. I'm just... Man, whatever. Here's the thing that bothers me the most about this. All right. So you have a Canadian citizen that's kidnapped into United States custody and he's shipped off to Guantanamo Bay and he's tortured. He's a former child soldier. At the time that he was captured, he was 15 years old. Our government worked its ass off to try and deny him his due process. And because she says fuck when she describes it, we're going to lose our minds. That to me is amazing. So there's a couple of things here. And, you know, this isn't shortcuts. Y'all can listen to shortcuts if you want to with Jesse Brown. He takes apart what the media does and what the media says. But I have to say, one thing about this that strikes me is that the press were all at this dinner and they were there having a good time. And it seems to me that they were upset that this ruined their good time. This kind of harshed their melody. Yeah, you know it's like, I mean? oh yeah, but you have to talk about that. I mean, come on, we're all friends. And the thing is, if you remember- We're all getting drunk. Word, let's like, yeah. like, Let's admit it, because people also said, oh, I think Elizabeth May was drunk. Yeah. How many people at that party were, we're drunk? We're drunk too. Right? I, so, 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 so I shouldn't even say too, because I have no idea what her condition was. She might've just been up there give, like kicking it straight. And because they're all sauce, and they're like, oh man, this is really just spoiling my night. I'm sorry to get into all this, everybody, because Elizabeth May denies the fact that she had had too much to drink, and I don't want to try and imply that that's what was going on. I think it's also the contrasting of Omar Khadr, who is such a controversial figure in Canada, with an elected federal cabinet. I think that that's the part that got a lot of people very upset and very offended. I actually, though, I have to say that Elizabeth May didn't help herself out by going on this apology tour the next day and saying, I was only joking when I was talking about Omar Khadr. So, yeah, the you know, was she should have been a lie that she, she had to come out and say, well, yeah, yeah, sorry. I was just trying to make a joke and it didn't work out. Too. Look, in Canada, we have a very hard time with people actually having convictions, especially ones that are not popular and convictions that aren't polite. Yeah, I, I think, think her that, biggest mistake was just being very impolite in front of a lot of people. It's the decorum aspect of it, too. Right. But you know what? What else did you hear in that interview that interested you? I mean, first of all, wow, Elizabeth May, what are, what are your views on the Harper government exactly? Yeah, she 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 didn't pull too many punches about how she feels about Prime nah, Minister Stephen the, Harper. She was, uh, yeah, I think her, view, her views on the Conservative government and Prime Minister Harper are pretty clear. Now, Andre, something I found very interesting about this conversation was the idea from Elizabeth May that parties whip votes, right? Parties tell their members, here's how you're going to vote. And that the Green Party's constitution actually prevents them from doing that. Now, I know some people out there who know this will laugh because they'll say, well, the Green Party only has two members. So how hard is it to really control your party, right? But it is interesting to me, this notion that you could have a system in Canada where you still have parties, but that the party leadership doesn't tell individually elected people how to vote. They say, go into your communities, ask people what they want, and then do what they tell you. And this is really interesting to me because we seem to have lost that. The party systems are really strong in Canada. Well, we we have an example of what happens when you've got such a dissolute system where there isn't a quote-unquote whipped vote. 
in the United States, they do have a party whip for the Republican and the, the Democratic parties. But it, your your Democrat from Montana is not going to vote like your Democrat from New York is not going to vote like your Democrat from Florida. There's going to be different regional interests. For example, when President Obama wanted to introduce the national health care program, the Affordable Care Act, you had Democrats. As a matter of fact, there was a Democrat from Montana. His name is Max Baucus. And he helped water that bill. I mean, it's still an effective bill, in my opinion. But a lot of the really good provisions that were in there at the, at the beginning of this debate ended up getting taken out before the final draft was voted on. And that was because he was, uh, A, partially in the pocket of Big Pharma, and B, because he lives in a more conservative state, he felt compelled to vote in a more conservative manner, or at least to, to support a more conservative bill. Okay, I understand what you're saying, but this is one of the problems that people have, is that if I vote for, um, you know, MPX in Manitoba... And I have certain views about this, and that's why I put them there. Why aren't they listening to me? Why are they going to Ottawa and listening what the party leader tells them to when I thought that I was getting a representative? That just means that I'm giving the party a representative. I'm not getting anything out of it. No, I can completely understand that. I just There's a benefit and a drawback to each and every system. And you can see in the United States with the amount of legislative gridlock that they have, you're not just captured by regional interests, you're also susceptible to, for example, business interests. I mean, there's there's a whole lot of different influences that can be put to bear when you've got a weak party system like they have in the United States. One other thing I, I noticed in that conversation was she did talk about the debates and um, that the Harper government essentially is trying to undermine the spirit of debates. But I guess my question is why... Why are they so important? No, I, I think that this is another one of those things where the media really get involved in kind of, you know, because it's a televised event and they get to write a lot about it afterwards. They get to make a lot of TV and a lot of radio about it afterwards. So they hype it up, right? Yeah. And they make it seem really important. I, I wonder I've, to what extent to that is the media just basically eating its own ass here. Like how much of that is actual... Oh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> how much of that is... <laughs> <laughs> substantive criticism. How much of that is, oh my gosh, this person actually said this and this is what it means. How much of that is really substantive and how much of that is just like straight up navel gazing? Well, you know, we're going to have to talk about debates on an upcoming show. This is an election year. Obviously, the debates are going to be even more controversial now that the prime minister of our country has said he doesn't want to participate in the ones that are traditionally organized. But, you know, Elizabeth May saying that this is a tactic on the part of the prime minister to avoid having to debate. I think that that's interesting. I'm not really sure if I buy that because, you know, a lot of people actually think that Stephen Harper is an incredibly talented debater. Whether you like him or not, he's very effective at taking on arguments that people make against him and addressing them directly and kind of shutting them down. He he actually, I mean, from what I've seen in his debates, he actually is sort of like a political jujitsu master. Like, I don't think that Prime Minister Harper is afraid of debating. He's actually really good at it. I have a really hard time caring about why I should sit in front of the TV and watch these dudes, assuming that Elizabeth May doesn't get invited, which is a whole other set of issues, but just to watch these dudes yell slogans at each other. The debates happen, what, like late September, early October? Exactly. All right. So around that time, The Flash season two is going to be around and that's what I'll be watching. Oh, I just, God. I don't, I don't care. Look, man, I will be actually watching the debate. Dude, don't, I, don't try to act like, oh, I'm, look at me, I'm watching the debates because I'm such a smart, no, you're, you're watching the debates not because you're a smart guy, but because you just don't have cable. You'll be watching it online. Huddled over your desk in your bedroom on the computer that I gave you. That's the show for this week, everyone. <laughs> Let's put it to the people out there. 
Are you going to be watching the debate like me? Or are you going to be messing around like Andre? You can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Andre Demise, at A-N-D-R-A-Y-D-O-M-I-S-E. And I'm at Desmond Cole. Shout out to our awesome and freakishly tall producer, Andrew Norton, and our normal-sized and very lovely producer, Katie Jensen. Also, special thanks this week to producer Hilary Duff. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Her name is actually Hilary Duff. That is her real name. Her name is Hilary... Yo, okay. I totally want to party with Hilary Duff and Deborah Dreaver. This has got to happen sometime <laughs> this year. Thanks to Hilary for your help with the Elizabeth May interview. And thanks also to Jesse Brown for his wonderful help in booking the studio this week. Awesome work in booking the studio. The music for Canada Land is done by Nathan Burley. And the new site for Canada Land is canadalandshow.com. If you like the show, please support us on patreon.com slash canadaland. And if you're on iTunes, get out there, give us that five-star rating, show us some love. And do us a favor, tell a friend about this show. Tell your brother, your sister, your auntie, your mama, your papa, tell everybody. Canada Land Shortcuts will be back on Thursday and the next episode of Canada Land Commons will be up next Tuesday. We out. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.